Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss Uncanny X-Men 222, the October 1987 issue on sale July 7th of 1987, cover price 75 cents. This one's titled Heartbreak! And you know what they say about 222, right? Um, is that like a pot thing? Never multiply it by three. Okay, why not? Because then you get 666, and that's the mark of the devil. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, that's a math joke. I wonder if there are any comics where issue 666 involves Satan, an, an encounter with the devil, or Satan, or in Marvel's universe, Mephisto. Uh, have any Marvel comics gotten to 666? I think they have, but it's hard to know whether or not they were numbering at that range at the time. I feel like the only legitimate comic book to get to that high of a number would be like Action Comics. Well, Action Comics just passed a thousand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but other than that, I, I mean, I think Marvel has like... You mean to have like a legitimate 666 on the cover? Yeah. Like there must be an Action Comics number 666, right? I would imagine there's also a Detective Comics number 666. That, that would be the other one, but I don't... No, even if, hmm, what issue did X-Men, Kenny X-Men stop with? That was in the 400s, wasn't it? It was like, it was like 544 or something oh, like that. Oh, so 544, so 120 more episodes. Ah, that's like 10 years, give or take some bi-monthlies. <laughs> uh, was it 10 years ago that they stopped the run or was it like five years ago? I, feel I like, don't feel remember like that. So I don't know. I, I guess what I'm trying to get back to is I don't know that any Marvel comic book uh, unless they went bi-weekly or whatever, could even have the possibility of being 666 unless, like, they, like, figured out a way to, uh, like, merge Thor into Journey into Mystery and then, like, continue that numbering. Well, that's what they did. But Amazing Spider-Man just passed 700, so they oh. totally could do it. But I don't know if Amazing Spider-Man was numbering them in the 600s when they got there. The, the Marvel system seems to be we'll redo everything at a one until we get to another significant number. So it's like one, two, three, six hundred. Holy crap. Four, five, six, six fifty. I just Googled the amazing Spider-Man 666 and it's literally Mephisto tearing out Spider-Man's heart. Oh, well, there you go. I'm just kidding. It's it's called Spider Island. and It's got Spider-Man's face in the Statue of Liberty. Oh, well, it's disappointing. Yeah, <laughs> such a missed opportunity. Is it numbered 666 or is it? It's numbered 666. It was released oh, okay. July 27th, 2011. So, uh, but I feel like you're right. I, I bet you there was like some weird numberings like you just mentioned, because didn't they do that with Fantastic Four as well? Well, Fantastic Four may not have made it to 666 because they stopped. Well, that's what I'm saying. Didn't they like stop at issue 500 and then like relaunch as number one, but then resume their numbering by like adding like the 40 issues to the last yeah, number? Uh, Spider-Man did that, too. X-Men okay. did that. They've all done that. It's all Marvel roles. X-Men hasn't, like, resumed its old uncanny X-Men numbering, has it? Well, there is there is not currently an uncanny X-Men title, so... Okay, okay. So, so theoretically, they could take the, the two relaunches that they did after that, add those numbers together, and then they could do, like, a third relaunch, but resume the old numbering. They can do whatever they want. When I was collecting <laughs> Wolverine... It, 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 okay, so it got up to, okay, so it rebooted a couple times and then it rebooted back to like issue 300. Anyway, at some point I was on issue 70, whatever, and then it switched over to 
it started becoming about his son, Dakin. And then it's the titling, the title switched to Dark Wolverine, and mm. but the numbering continued. So if it was seven, 72 was Wolverine, 73 was Dark Wolverine. That same month, uh, another comic came out called Wolverine Weapon X. And that was number one. But apparently the counting that they took was from 72 and then Wolverine Weapon X. I think it was like a... 12 or 16 series and then they continued off from that adding those 12 or 16 issues to the initial 72 to figure out what the next number was so how do you even categorize that in your comic collection where do you put dark wolverine it's so confusing that would that would destroy my add fortunately i stopped collecting before any of that happened so all of my books are lined up neatly and nicely in the proper order Actually, I think what I would do if that was the case, if I had that in my collection, is I would have to chronologically by release categorize them, which means you'd have numbers all over the place. Yeah, that, that's typically what I do. So like my Fantastic Four run goes from to a certain number and then goes over to one. Actually, I don't think I have any of the Fantastic Four number ones. So never mind. <laughs> but it would definitely mess with my, my ADD if I was like, I want to read Dark Wolverine, and it wasn't under the Ds. That would, that would disappoint <laughs> me. So, Anyways, yeah, uh, the Uncanny X-Men number uh, 666 divided by 3 here has Wolverine, speaking of which, and Sabretooth on the cover. And it's it's a good cover. I like this cover. It's Wolverine. He's got his claws out and he's getting ready to stab Sabretooth in the chest. Sabretooth has got his claws out and his fangs bared. Uh, again, though, big bright blue background, just like last issue. Do you think Sabretooth is the one who's going to get heartbreak? Ooh, also, uh, more armpit hair in this issue. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's on the cover right there. <laughs> yep. Wolverine appears to have a fourth claw because of the action lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Strange. Somehow those are, that, that one action line is a little misaligned. And they both have vampire teeth. We talked about that last uh, last time. Yeah, the vampire teeth. Like, I can understand Sabretooth yeah. having vampire teeth because he's Sabretooth and he's subject to every artist's interpretation. But I feel like it's fully well established that Wolverine does not have fangs. I think it's just open to artist interpretation at this point. I, I would I would agree with you. Up until now, when Mark Silvestri decided, I like Wolverine with fangs, he did not have fangs. Yeah. Maybe he's been sharpening his teeth. Could be. Sure. He's got, he's got adamant. Does he have healing teeth? That's a great question. <laughs> I don't think that's ever been explored in the pages of any comic book ever. So, I mean, he could be filing his teeth down for battle with his claws, but then like a week later, they just like reshape themselves because he's healing his teeth. Like teeth grow out of the skull, but are they are they are they are they considered the same kind of material of the skull? I don't know. They're not living tissue except for like the nerve endings inside of the teeth. So, uh I don't know. They're not. They're definitely not part of the skull. Like they're definitely individual units that grow out of the skull. I, but I don't know if they're like bone. His skull is adamantium. Are the teeth adamantium? <laughs> uh, ooh. Oh. Oh. Adam. Maybe this is something. Like he's got retractable claws. Maybe the Weapon X project gave him retractable fangs, and he just never talks about them. Okay. That may, that makes sense. So there's a there's an inaudible snicked that happens in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well actually like that, that that would be kind of like uh, uh what was that texas vampire tv show slash book what what the the show texas, texas vampire 
Yeah, on HBO had all the nudity and vampires. What was that show called? Oh, uh, yeah, with Rogue in it. Yeah, with Rogue. Um, <laughs> I I never watched it. Oh. I know that it exists, but did they have rejectable teeth? Oh my gosh! Yeah, the vampires had normal teeth, but when they went into vampire mode, they'd open their mouths and the teeth would go like snicked, like it would <laughs> pretty close approximation of a snicked. Uh, their fangs would come out. Mm. So. Now, do all Wolverine's teeth retract or just some of them? Well, just the fangs. <laughs> can, he, can he choose them? Oh, I don't think so. I, I think it's just like, well, he can choose his claws, right? Because we've seen him pop like one claw or two claws or whatever. So, yeah, I think he could pop like one fang if he wanted to. Okay. But why would you? I, I don't know. <laughs> Practice. Anyways, so uh, this is Stan Lee presenting Chris Claremont writing Mark Silvestri and Dan Dan Green, both listed as the artists. Glennis Oliver is the colorist. Tom Morzikowski is the letterer. And Ascenti is the editor. And Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. And we get a big full-page spread right where we left off from last issue with Dazzler and Rogue in the water with Polaris above them saying, I didn't kill you before, but now I'm going to do it. You're going to die right now. Close to what she said in the last issue, but for some reason, some of the wording's been changed. That sort of bugs me, but whatever. Well, maybe she said the thing that she said in the last issue, and then a minute later, she said this. Because she's like, I don't think you heard me, because your ears might have had water in them. I need to repeat what I said. Let me just repeat myself, sort of. There is a great Claremonti caption. Uh... It's very wordy, but mm-hmm. it's it's fantastic. I'm going to read it very quickly. Life's tough when you're a mutant. Bad enough to be born with parahuman powers that make you stand out from the crowd. A few noble-hearted lunatics go and make things even worse for themselves by hooking up with this team of self-styled heroes who call themselves the X-Men and figure it's their job to get in the way of every bad guy worth the name who wants to rule the world or otherwise pursue a violently antisocial career. That's not a run-on sentence. And because of who they are, their good deeds rarely win them any respect or even thanks. But instead, far more often than not, only heartbreak. Heartbreak! (laughs) And that's why we like Chris Claremont. He clearly had a great time writing that. He didn't have to do that. None of that was necessary. And he doesn't do it all the time, but he does it enough to where you're like, okay, you know, he just wants to stretch his his wings a little bit and and you know write. I need to tre- stress my writing prowess. Yeah, I'm gonna write an intro. You don't want to get rusty. <laughs> Polaris gets blasted by some familiar circular plasma blasts. Must be havoc, says Rogue. Wonder if he knew he was shooting at his girlfriend. I'd suspect not. Nah. Probably wouldn't have done it if he knew. And Rogue somehow knows that her shields deflected the brunt of the blast, but she's knocked unconscious. To what? To which I say, magnetic shields? Sure. Which deflect plasma blasts because, because, because Because Rogue knows. <laughs> she read the files. Of course. And there's a guy on the beach. Uh, by the way, we're in the water. We're by a beach. And there's a guy who's like, I don't believe in mutants. Sounds like some comic book ridiculousness. And then she sees or he sees superheroes flying in. Well, he's reading a copy of Wild Cards, which is a book which I guess was edited by George R.R. R. Martin of 
Game of Thrones fame. Mm-hmm. And I believe Chris Claremont wrote one of the books. Well, well this is a, a, a trope that they bring out where, you know, you have the unsuspecting townie who's like, oh, I don't believe in the superheroes. And then he sees him and he's like, what? Yeah, he sees Rogue flying in towards the beach with Dazzler in one arm and an unconscious Polaris in the other and uh then she runs out of power yeah she's she she's actually skipping on the water like a stone mm-hmm. doing my best dazzler but even i have my limitations flump and she crashes into the sand uh, as well as dazzler and polaris and they're both laying there unconscious and then we get the classic a whole bunch of people surrounding them with a bunch of different word balloons people speculating about what's happening meanwhile uh heading towards the beach in a poli- uh, police vehicle we return we get to see who is this lady again um lieutenant morel uh is she we met her before is she the same woman from san francisco and the freedom force issue I think it's the same woman, honestly. It should be because they are in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, if it's not, we're going to pretend it is. Yeah. But there's also this guy who looks like Clint Eastwood driving along. So, of course, he talks like this. <laughs> I find it weird that Betsy and Havoc are just like riding around in a police car. Well, it's especially weird because she, they weren't at the San Francisco adventure. So... So they must have, like, tracked down Lieutenant Morell and been like, hey, we're X-Men now. And she even says, uh, Betsy's explaining about the Marauders, and she says, three of our team, who you knew, Colossus Nightcrawler and Mm. Shadowcat, were critically wounded in our first encounter with the Marauders. And she buys it. Yep. Clint Eastwood's not buying it, though. His name is Harry. I I imagine it's, uh, that's his last name, and his first name is Dirty. He's got a magnum later. Hell yeah, he does. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she, uh, the police officer, Morell, whatever her name is, she wants to know. Lieutenant Morell. Lieutenant Morell wants to know what these marauders are after and what's the deal with Madeline Pryor. Betsy doesn't know, but she means to learn. So she uses her butterfly telepathic powers to connect with Rogue, uh, who says yeah i'm alive and now i'm thanks now thanks to you i'm wide awake and she fills uh Psylocke in on the fact that the she has prisoner now and that it's uh polaris and we should really let havoc know sooner than later because he's not going to take it well and then we've got some japanese kids who are on holiday in san francisco who we met and i don't remember but we met them in x-men number 181 i do you don't they were in japan and they had just gotten back from secret wars which you of course don't remember that never happened then there was a giant dragon that yeah, was in that. love with long shot oh, or a long shot lockheed lockheed i keep <laughs> saying long shot god <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. That's right. So they were the kids, and they had their book, and they were like, these are the X-Men. And now they have their book, and they're like, who's the pretty yellow-haired lady? And they look her up in the book, and it's Dazzler. But since when was she an X-Man? I need to update my hero book. Yep, they scribble some things. X-Men now. They want to get autographs, and uh, Dazzler's like, you should go. <laughs> like, it's dangerous around here. Rope recognizes the kids. Cripes, I know there's kids from last time in Japan. World's getting too small for words. Chris Claremont. Then she says, yo, kids, like Dazzler said, scoot. <laughs> she does say scoot. I had, I had looked over <laughs> that. How could I do that? Hi, Rogue-sama. She does not respond to them, Mm-mm. which is kind of rude. Totally rude. She recognizes them. She just like wave. These kids are being all nice and respectful, and Rogue's like, scoot, I ain't saying bye. Uh, yeah. 
Psylocke gave me a fix on Madeline, Dad. She's still in the bay. Current's sweeping her out of sea. I got to go get her. So she takes off, and before she takes off, she says, thanks for saving my life, Dazzler. Dazzler says, I'd have done the same for any X-Men. And Rogue says, yeah, but you did it for me, and I'm the one who used to fight you in previous issues of Dazzler. And that means a lot. So Dazzler is pretty weak here, so she decides that she's going to recharge herself, but instead of doing uh, a very slight recharging by just sort of picking up slight noises, she basically absorbs all of the beach noise, which means people can't hear their boomboxes, they can't hear their conversations, they're trying to yell, they can't hear anything. Dazzler can hear it all, and she's just soaking it up, she's all happy, and that's when the beach freaks out. In a very clever panel, we get a panel of a bunch of people with w- empty word balloons, mm-hmm. which is, is a very comic booky way to explain what's going on. Mm-hmm. I, I like it lots. And then Harry, for whatever reason, decides to drive his car into sand. It's a terrible idea because, Adam, I don't know if you've ever driven a car into sand. Uh, I have. You can't get it out <laughs> without a tow truck. <laughs> How did that go for you? Is this a story? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were at a beach <laughs> and uh, there was nobody there. And, and we had two options. Uh, one option was to kind of back out of the parking lot and go back to the road or do a U-turn through the sand. And oh, I was man. like, let's do a U-turn from through the sand because it didn't really look like it was that much sand or that far of a distance. Uh, and we got you know, like 20 feet into the sand and we stopped and (laughs) I tried like rocking us back and forth. And all that did was just dig the car deeper into sand. Uh, the, my tires were completely submerged in sand. It sucked. (laughs) There, there's a movie where somebody parks on a beach and they have to get a tow truck for it. I can't remember what it is. Maybe it's a TV show. But here's the thing. So I, I, I thought about it. I was going to get all mad and stuff, but I was like, you know what? I had purchased a Saturn, and at the time, Saturn's big thing was they had free roadside assistance. So I wasn't too worried about it. There's a phone number on the windshield. Uh, we, I think I had a cell phone at the time. This is a long time ago. Uh, called up the roadside assistance, and they said, we'll be there in 45 minutes. And I was like, you know what? It's cool. No worries. Uh, I had my camcorder with me. I was like, this would be a cool like commercial to film for Saturn. And maybe I could even send it to Saturn about how we ran into this trouble and we called the 800 number and then the tow truck came and it towed it away and I could do some like fancy narration over the top of it. So I gave my girlfriend, who's my wife at this time, uh, the camera and I said, here, I want you to shoot all of it. Well, she hit stop during the parts I wanted recorded <laughs> and record in the parts that I wanted stopped. So all you have is like footage of the camera bag for like 20 minutes <laughs> and then footage of the tow truck driving away. And that's it. And I was like, oh. I did all of that and missed the opportunity. Did you send it to Saturn? Well, no, <laughs> there was nothing to send. It was, it was just, I, you know, chatting. You could have put something together. Mm-hmm. You could have added a narration. Mm-hmm. This is not the footage I wanted to get. The footage I wanted to get, and then you explain the footage. What you can't see. I love Saturn. (laughs) So, anyways, my point is never drive a car into sand. That is a good point. Bad idea. Take nothing else away from this episode. Never drive a car into sand should be the thing you take away. Who said Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast, isn't also educational? <laughs> it only took us 254 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but you finally learned a lesson. Anyways, 
Uh, yeah, so the X-Men and Harry and Professor, Professor Detective Morell run up to Dazzler and like, what are you doing? You're scaring everybody. Detective Morell has her gun drawn and Harry is drawing his gun as well. I guess they they just don't know what's going on. They don't know Although who Dazzler I don't, is. I don't know why the X-Men ex- just explained that. Oh, that's Dazzler using her powers. We're okay. Everybody chill out. Well, as you can see, as Havoc is running towards Dazzler, it, the word balloon cuts out. He says, it's Dazzler. And then it's silence. So they can't communicate. And when they hear Psylocke trying to telepathically talk to them, they just freak out and draw their guns. <laughs> I know this is real, says Lieutenant Morell, but it's almost too incredible to believe. And Havoc grabs Dazzler and says, do you have any idea what you're doing, girl? You've terrorized the entire beach. She realizes what she's doing, and Lieutenant Morell calls her a a rookie. And uh, No one at this point has explained to Havoc that Polaris was the person that was attacking them. So he just turns her over and says, let's turn her over and see what she looks like. And that's when Polaris, in classic Evil Dead mode, says, hello, lover. I wish. <laughs> she actually says, hi, lover. But, man, she's got the smile and everything. This could have been a... My guess is that, at this point, Chris Claremont has not seen Evil Dead. Because if he would have, he would have written it as, hello, lover. Was that in Evil Dead 2, or was that in the first Evil Dead? <sighs> I don't know. It was definitely in Evil Dead 2. It could have been picked up from the first one. The first one has come out by now. And it's 1987, so the, probably the second one's been out as well. Oh, I guess I don't know what, what years those came out. Yeah, I don't either. Eh, well, oh, anyways. well. Hello, lover. And then she blasts him with magnets and says, bye, lover. <laughs> Isn't and, that also a techno song? Hello, lover. Aren't you singing that song that was by Two Unlimited that was co-opted by every sports event? Am I? I don't know. I, I might be. I thought I, I thought I just made something up, but apparently I pulled something out of the recesses of my... <laughs> um, no, uh, I'm positive that Hello Lover has probably been sampled by seven bands. Seven, okay. <laughs> at, at least seven bands have... And I would, I would also wager that every second of... Every audible second of Evil Dead 2 has been sampled in some way by some band. That's going to be an interesting thing to find out. You should make a documentary about that. I bet you you could reconstruct a good portion of that movie using music samples. That'd be, that would be interesting. That'd be a lot of work, but it'd be interesting. It's your life's work there. Yeah. I don't know. Get to it. <laughs> so then we flip over to the very boring Indian guy <laughs> and storm in the mountains. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Why is this so boring? Like, I found it kind of boring, too. And I just like, I want to enjoy this story. But why is it? Why is it not working? I don't know. Uh, And the other thing that's kind of confusing is the narration box says another time, another place. So I don't know if did they walk through a portal? Like, is this real time? Is this another time? Does it? I mean, it probably doesn't matter. Well, they're on a spirit quest or a vision quest, so it's who knows. They, they, they could they could be they could have passed into another world, and it probably will never be explained. Maybe it will be, and that that in and of itself wouldn't bother me. But it's just this whole thing. It's just boring. So yes, they're on a vision quest. They're trying to find Forge, and they're wondering if Forge is worthy and stuff and adversary. They get attacked by this hip '80s brother and sister duo wearing green. These 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 kids are hip, man. 
Yeah, I uh, uh, it's 87, so they're probably rad. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> He's got like a skinny tie. Do you have a skinny tie, man? You should get a skinny tie if you don't have one. I used to have a black leather skinny tie. I do not have a skinny tie. I have an almost skinny tie. I don't have a skinny tie anymore, but but in probably 88, 89 time frame, I had a black skinny leather tie. You know what's in really right now are bow ties. No, they're not. They actually, I, I see them everywhere now. Yeah, no, I do too, but they're not in. I think they are. No, people are wearing them, but they're not in. <laughs> and mom, mom jeans. Mom jeans are in right now too. Yeah, those are also not in, but people for some reason are deciding to wear them and I don't know why. Because it's the trend and they're in. I feel like the economy has taken a downturn and people are just shopping at thrift stores. <laughs> no, they're in, man. No. <laughs> uh, yes, there are a number of people at my work that wear mom jeans and bow ties. And uh, and, if, and uh, do they ever wear both? Like, Because oh, if somebody wore a bow tie mom jean outfit, it might explode the world. Uh, I've not seen that. I'm surprised the new Lady Doctor Who doesn't have mom jeans and a bow tie. <laughs> that would be amazing. Now, no spoilers, because I'm like two Doctor seasons behind. Uh, skip them. Go to the last one. Peter really? Capaldi sucks. <laughs> uh, okay. Maybe that's maybe that's why I fell out of it. I, for some reason, Peter Peter Capaldi, much like this storm in the desert. With Najee, uh, Nazia story is, um, I just, I could never get into him as the doctor. I mean, I thought he was a fan, fantastic actor. Yeah. I yeah. liked him. Yeah. It's just the, the stories were not interesting. Oh, so just bad writings. Not his fault. Just poor, poor, poor show running. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Which is shocking because that guy is a great showrunner. I mean, everybody loves Sherlock. Yeah. I've never seen Sherlock, but I've heard everybody likes Sherlock. Yeah, I've never seen it either, but I've heard everybody loves it. <laughs> uh, maybe the people that like Sherlock are like, nah, dude, the Peter Capaldi doctors are the best doctors. It could be. I mean, uh, maybe maybe watch the last season. You can probably skip. Well, didn't he only do two seasons? I think he did three. Oh. But I could be wrong about that. Okay. I, I, I lost track. I have this delusion that I'm going to watch those three seasons because, I mean, they're only like 12 or 13 episodes apiece. Uh, get caught up and then watch uh, Lady Doctor. If you if you binge them, you could probably get through it in like a couple of afternoons. <sighs> but it's 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 gonna be rough. Bring some beer. <laughs> there's there's a handful of things you're like that's an interesting kernel of an idea. Yeah, but the majority of it is like that was filler. Okay, well, I'll get there at some point. Anyways, uh, yeah, the vision. These guys with the skinny tie and the the green stuff they turn into eye killers who i actually mistaken mistaked as wraiths and i also mistake them as do you remember the creature that cyclops fought way back in like issue 97 despair despair was it despair yeah yeah they're all the same to me but they're <laughs> apparently they're not the same uh Nage explains the eye killers as banished to the spirit lands an age ago but the the walls between there and here are breaking down this is just the beginning lots worse will come through till the world's torn to bits and cast back into chaos forge is supposed to keep that from happening appears to me though he's decided to work the other way throw the gates open it's sort of a cthulhu-esque sort of thing um, yeah, the eye killers shoot beams from their eyes, and they are uh, half owl, half snake creatures. With muscly He-Man arms. Yeah, they actually 
It, it does remind me of like a cross between He-Man and G.I. Joe. <laughs> Remember uh, Cobra La 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 La? Oh, man. So I do. And I had an opportunity when I was a kid. Uh, like I'd never seen the movie because either my parents didn't take me to those types of movies or the movie just didn't come out in my theater. I don't think that, that movie came to theaters. I think it went straight to video. No, it had to have been in a theater. I don't think it did. Yeah. I know Transformers did, but yeah. I don't think that one did. Okay, that's possible. But um, I was at a local Shopco, which is similar to Kmart, and they had the Cobra Law three-pack. And I was like, whoa, these guys are <laughs> awesome. And I didn't have the eight or ten bucks or whatever it cost to pick up the three-pack. And it was like the <laughs> last one on the shelf. So I was like, oh, I got to get it because every... Because, you know, back in the day, like, you couldn't find yourself, a, like, a Cobra Commander or a Destro. Because, like, those were the popular characters, and those were, like, gone mm -hmm. off the shelves immediately. But there was one of these left, and I was like, oh. And, yeah, fell through the fell through the cracks and never picked it up. But, yeah, there was the snake-tail dude. There was, I think his name was Golobulus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that movie, like, a lot, actually. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's good. You almost get to see uh, Cobra Commander's face. Yeah, he turns out he's a snake. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, he's turned into a snake. <laughs> he turns into a snake, but yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. For, I think as a kid, for the longest time, I thought, like, some, so I had a disconnect uh, where I just thought Cobra Commander had always been a snake after that. I was like, oh, that's sort of clever. And then I didn't realize until many years later that, no, oh, in, the, in that movie, he turns into a snake. Yeah. Yeah. Just for a long time, I just thought he was a snake the whole time. And then it was just revealed in that movie that he had been a snake the whole time. Was it Serpentor or was it Cobra La that turned him into a snake? Oh, God, I haven't seen the movie in a long time. I don't remember. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. Like he is like, yeah, I don't remember. A potion is like thrown on him or something. Doesn't Isn't that movie about Flint joining Sergeant Slaughter's Marauders or something? No, it's, it's, uh, it's. Oh my God. He was played by Don Johnson. It wasn't Flint. It was somebody else. Oh, Falcon. Falcon. That's who it was. Who was like Duke's yeah. nephew, maybe? Or who was basically a repainted Flint. Yeah. 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 But it wasn't Flint. Yeah. It wasn't Flint. You're right. <laughs> Very important distinction. <laughs> it turns out the eye killers are afraid of fire. So they light them on fire and shoot, shoot them in the back with, uh, arrows and um it's uh it's a near death for storm who is saved by nage and uh they are doubly determined to stop forge at this point with a cool panel where she holds up a knife a bleeding knife and there's a glint off of it and she says i swear to stop him yeah and and he also throws like a little jab at her like you could have fried him with lightning if you had your powers and Forge didn't steal them from you. Yeah. He also says Hoka Hey, which is, uh, I, yeah, I was going to, I was wondering if you were going to do that and you didn't, you didn't do it like the right way. Well, he did. He never used to say Hoka Hey. He used to say, Hokey key. Oh, you're right. It was a K. They changed the K to an H and now it's Hoka Hey. And I don't know how to say that. Well, maybe some <laughs> editor, some editor was like, Chris, Chris, it's Hokahei. It's not Hokeiki. Maybe Hokahei is more accurate. It's not as fun to say as Hokeiki. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Anyways, back in San Francisco, uh, Polaris is like, yeah, I I'm the leader of the more marauders, and I'm going to use my magnets to knock you over. And also pull apart the 
automobile that's on the sand because like that's useless anyway yeah well it's stuck in the sand right i don't know it's it's harry who's like we got to get to the car actually no it's it's uh detective morale but i I imagine harry gave her the idea because i I think harry's not very bright (laughs) she doesn't she doesn't want to get to the car to drive it to be fair she's probably like harry why'd you drive the car into the sand well we still got a working radio let's get back to the car that's it we got to call we, the car can't move we're gonna use the radio but polaris says no and she disassembles the car using her magnetic powers uh but she's weakened and psylocke uses this as an opportunity to get into her head which pushes malice aside for a moment to where polaris is like what am i doing here alex what's going on thankfully then uh betsy reveals to everybody you have been possessed polaris by the psychic marauder known as malice which is so glad somebody in this comic revealed something to somebody else (laughs) it just makes me feel better and that's when vertigo and harpoon show up in in the marauder mobile this is who i don't remember who it was asking was like what do they drive off site or off off camera? But apparently it's a red convertible that all of the Morlocks pile into. Uh, <laughs> it looks like Vertigo drives it, although she's standing. So I'm guessing the car's parked at this point. Um, well, uh, there maybe maybe the arc light is because uh, our arc light shows up soon as well. So maybe she's in, in the driver's seat. Oh, man, and we just can't see her. She's just kind of yeah. leaning off to the uh, left there. Yeah. Could be. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so she uh, she makes them all sick, and that's enough. Uh, well, Polaris is, first of all, like, that's my guy you're hurting. But then she gets repossessed by Malice, and she's like, oh, well, I'm going to hurt him. I can't let you do my dirty work. Yeah. And uh, oh, I get the harpoon. <laughs> Remembering the Marauder's names is tough. Just uh, whatever har- it is they do is their name. <laughs> harpoon thinks to himself, thanks a lot for... for uh, uh, for thanking me for saving you, Malice, jerk. <laughs> and Malice is like, save Havoc for me. So Harpoon does his little thing where he transmutes his little metal harpoon into energy and throws it as Dazzler. Dazzler uses her concentrated light power to deflect the blast. Maybe if I can counter the energy with a shot of my own, they'll cancel one another out. Bingo! Shabam! Vorp! Stupid Harry. He's like, oh, it's the green-haired girl running the the show. If I shoot her with my gun, I can end this. Oh, Jeremy, he says, the green-haired girl seems to be running the show. You should knock her down. So he pulls out his magnum and uses... Smith & Wesson magnum. Yeah, and uses the magnum force to (laughs) shoot... Polaris, but Polaris, of course, is the mistress of magnetism, so she deflects the bullet right into the shoulder of Detective Morell. <laughs> Who screams, Harry, you shot me! <laughs> you jerk! And that's when Arclight shows up. I guess she's the uh, exception to the name rule, unless yeah. Arclight's a verb, and I don't think it is. I don't know what Arclight means, but... Okay. So she jumps out and she does her arc lighty thing and knocks everybody into a sand crevasse, which goes into the water. A fisher all the way to the bay. The heroes and friends tumble in and then a tidal wave also tumbles in to drown them. Havoc, almost falling into the pit that has opened under his feet, manages to jump into the air and grabs a flying Polaris and says, No! I won't let things in like this. I love you, Lorna. I'm not letting you get away. Lorna, I love you. (laughs) 
Meanwhile, we cut over to the Golden Gate Bridge where a familiar sniper is about to snipe uh, Rogue. Yep, she's flying along and the scalp hunter can't craft a weapon that can't, I don't know, he can make any weapon he wants. He thinks that he's crafted the bullets that will be able to get through Rogue's hide. Yeah, and that's when ha- or a long shot drops in his head in front of the crosshairs and is like, I beg your pardon. Which makes no sense because he would have to be a little farther away than that. Yeah, you'd think so. He's like, uh, it's impolite to shoot people. And uh, that's when Wolverine uh, grabs Scalp Hunter from above. We can see his little hand dropping into the frame and pulls him on top of the bridge. You made your rep chopping women and helping and helpless kids, Scalp Hunter, and shooting targets from ambush. Care to try your hand against someone tougher face to face? So I guess Wolverine's kind of making the point that you've made a couple of times is that the Marauders are only effective against, well, <laughs> people that can't help themselves. He says women and children, but I, mean, I think that's kind of an 80s-ish term. Like it's Morlocks who are essentially, you know, old people and cripples. Yeah. <laughs> we can say cripples in 2018, can't we? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing We just not. did, so I guess. Uh, <laughs> let us know if that's offensive. We're sorry if it is, but... We're not entirely sure. <laughs> and so Scalp Hunter turns the gun on Wolverines uh, and starts shooting him. Longshot falls off the bridge, which is probably somehow related to his luck. Totally. And we'll find out why. Wolverine's kind of mad. He's like, what are you doing, boy? I told you to stay undercover. Let me handle this. Oh, blast it to haze. I never should have brought the kid along when I followed that Marauder's Trail. Why doesn't Wolverine know that everything that happens to Longshot is luck related? Well, Longshot's relatively new to the team. <laughs> He's probably okay. I read his file. <laughs> I don't I don't know that Longshot would have a file at this point. I'm writing up a file. <laughs> In my head. I'll put it on paper later. Scott would be so proud. Scrambler grabs Wolverine and scrambles his powers, um, but luckily Wolverine isn't too bad off and just kind of knocks him aside. That don't slow me down, punk, or make me any less strong. And that's where we see Sabretooth who says, but when I, when my claws rip your throat out, Logan, my boy, you'll die. Just like those puny, pathetic, powerless humans you've sworn to protect. And they fight for, you know... Not very long, actually. It's kind of not as great a fight as I would have thought, because basically uh, Sabretooth punches Wolverine, and then he's like, ow, my hand, I broke my hand. It's like, (laughs) why would he have forgotten that Wolverine is made of adamantium claws? At this point, maybe he just doesn't, well, no, Wolverine even says, you know, I'm more than a mutant, remember? My bones are laced with adamantium. You know this, dummy. Yeah, they can't be broke. You'd have a gentler time punching steel. And that's when Wolverine punches him in the heart and, and pops, pops his, claws. his claws right into Sabretooth. And says, Scrambler can't affect my claws because they're part of me. And so he stabs him in the heart and throws Sabretooth at Scrambler. And is like, oh, maybe you can screw up Saber's healing factor too. Put him out of his misery. So I think Wolverine's plan here was to stab him in the heart, throw him at Scrambler so that Sabretooth would die. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, that's dark. Uh, I think this is the Sabretooth from like X-Men 1 where he doesn't really serve much of a purpose other than to be a foil for Wolverine. What do you mean X-Men 1? The movie. Mm, X- okay. X-Men, X-Men, the motion picture. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Yes, I agree. This is, this is not Sabretooth from Wolverine, the motion picture. 
No. Or Wolverine Origins or whatever it was called. Yes. Which wolf? I mean, sorry. Which saber tooth do you prefer? The original guy, whoever, like he was a wrestler or something, who didn't get any lines, or maybe he had like two words, uh, or uh, Leave Schreiber as an actor or as as a portrayal of saber tooth? As a portrayal of saber tooth. Oh, Leave Schreiber, hands down. Really? Yeah. I mean, Leave Schreiber is an excellent actor. Uh, it's done some amazing roles, but. I thought the wrestler guy with, with the makeup and everything and just the, the little bit of grunting, like I felt like that was Sabretooth. Uh, I've always preferred Sabretooth as somewhat intelligent um, and less of like he's more sadistic when he's intelligent, I think. And he's he's more evil in that sort of way. He's kind of consciously making evil choices, whereas this version of, of Sabretooth that we're reading now is just kind of like he's like magneto was in the 60s yeah i will kill you ah. mm-hmm. so would you say that leave schreiber's uh saber tooth was more like wolverine comics saber tooth whereas that wrestler guy is just this saber tooth yeah okay although i don't i don't know when saber tooth started becoming more of a smarter guy i think it might even have been it might not it might not be until like the late 2000s yeah, because I, I feel like there's a few issues where, like, they're dressed up in, like, suits, like Wolverine and Sabretooth, and they, like, go on missions together. Yeah. Uh, and maybe that was, like, in the past. I don't remember. But I recall seeing a cover along those lines and being like, wow, that's Sabretooth? That's weird. I haven't read all those issues of Wolverine in so long that – and then they, they introduced the idea of false memories into Wolverine. So I don't know how much of any of that is real and not real. Isn't – uh, Sabretooth Wolverine's father. Uh, well, we don't like, are, are, like, like for real. Are you asking me right now? No, I'm not. It, at this point, we don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyways, and I'm just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> scalp hunter. I honestly don't know either. I really, I feel like there was a hinting of that in some of the comics, but I don't know if that was like Sabretooth being like, "I'm your father." No, just kidding. I want to kill you. I, I could tell you. Don't tell me. Okay. <laughs> it's a mystery because I honestly don't know which way that storyline goes. Scalp Hunter, though, he, he's like, I'm going to shoot you, Wolverine, because I got a gun. Your flesh will still bleed, even though your bones may not break. And when I'm done, there won't be a piece left. So I'm going to shoot you until all your flesh flies off, apparently. That would seem like a stupid, a decent Scalp strategy. <laughs> I mean, for this iteration of Wolverine, I feel like if you blasted all of his flesh off, he would die. Yeah, but then in the next panel, he shoots the crap out of him, but it looks like he completely misses. Well, yeah, we've established that the Marauders are not very effective against people. Scalp Hunter's mutant villain name should have been Stormtrooper. (laughs) Wolverine, yes, he dodges all of the machine gun bullets and jumps off of the bridge. Got no choice, got a rabbit. Gets caught by Rogue, who catches Wolverine in a very passive position, in my opinion. But I think it's good for Wolverine's ego to be carried around like a baby. Yeah, well, you know, he's heavy, so he's got to be carried in the least heavy possible way for Rogue. So, yeah, they take off. Wolverine argues, or he, he claims that he knew Rogue must have been around and that she would probably catch him, which I, I kind of find, I find that kind of far-fetched, but whatever. Yeah, I don't, it's, it's. Not necessary explanation when we already know that Wolverine's strong and he's got a healing factor and he's just diving into water. Yeah. Like, nothing about his character tells us that, like, he can't swim. Although, with adamantium bones, you'd think maybe, maybe. Have have they ever talked about whether he can swim or if he just sinks? I think he's able to swim, but water uh, drowning is the only thing that supposedly can kill him. Mm. 
But we don't know that yet. In Days of Future Past, does he sink or is he just like magnetically pulled to the ground in the wa- in the water? In the movie Days the, of Future Past. Oh, in the movie. Yes. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Remember he has like all the metal yeah, goes yeah. through him and then he's like- I think he was unconscious. Him. Okay. Yeah. yeah and, the, and I think he was also being pulled down by whatever Magneto was attached to him. I don't know. Anyways, they, yeah, they swing back around. The Marauders are gone. Wolverine's like, oh, I could chase their scent, but I'm the leader, so got to stay with my team. I'm heading for the basement to look for Longshot. Kids are novice. No real training. We still got no solid idea of the full extent and nature of his powers. That was very hard to say out loud. Should have taken better care of him. Hope I get another chance. But his powers are luck-based. I know that much, he doesn't say. <laughs> yeah. But this all seems to scream like there's no files on Longshot. And yeah. honestly, no, you're right, you're right. With with Professor X gone, Cyclops gone, and now Storm in another time in another place, ain't nobody keeping up on files. Kitty, she can't do files. She'd be the only one left that would do files. Maybe Nightcrawler, but he can't do files. Maybe Longshot's doing the files. (laughs) I don't know how to write. (laughs) By some luck, these all make sense. (laughs) And by some luck, uh, he almost landed on uh, Madeline. He says, Madeline was floating by. I almost landed on her, so we sort of... Sort of rescued each other. Isn't that lucky? And Wolverine says, you're stock in trade, kid. As we all know, the X-Men, your powers are luck-based. I forgot. Long shot, kind of in a very sweet gesture, has given Madeline her leather jacket, and he's shirtless and muscly. He's he's still got his uh, Chewbacca belt. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Madeline's transferred over to Wolverine who carries Madeline away. Uh, I don't know why she can't walk under her own power. She looks very conscious to me. Um, she's wet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah. She's probably very tired. Is the battle over Wolverine? For now, both sides got hurt, but I'll wager the Marauders quit because they thought they'd accomplished their mission, namely killing you. That was my plan all along. Because I'm Wolverine. I see, based on last issue and our introduction to Mr. Sinister, I feel like the Marauders show up and they're like, yeah, we killed Madeline. And Mr. Sinister's like, that's amazing. Where is the body? And they're like, well, we <laughs> can't find it because she totally drowned in the bay. And he's like, and you saw her drown in the bay. And they're like, well, no, but we assume she drowned it in the bay. And Mr. Sinister's like, I hate you. <laughs> He doesn't have words. He's just like oh. shuts the door and goes. He does a, silently contemplate at his desk with his head in his hands. I need an artist, uh, a listener, to draw the classic uh, Picard face palm, but make it Mister <laughs> Sinister doing a face palm. That that would be that would be awesome. Mister Sinister finally realizing just how bad the Marauders are. Oh. And we actually get confirmation that that is what happened, because in the last page of the issue, Havoc is still holding on to Polaris. Uh, He's not going to give up on her. She's like, I'm going to kill you. Polaris loves it in here. I'm the only one that's in charge. Uh, But we're going to go because we totally killed Madeline, we think. Yeah. Oh, look, a flare. Scalp Hunter's way of telling us that Madeline Pryor is dead. Guess I won't check on that. Nope. Bye. <laughs> totally out of here. Even though I'm the leader and I'm probably responsible to Mr. Sinister for the outcome of this mission, I'm out. So she takes off and Havoc's like, Lorna, I love you. Come back. Don't make me. And she says, blast me out of the sky to kingdom come while you've still got the chance. 
and I guess this is this is Lorna's actual voice. Yeah, I guess, or or Havoc is supposed to think it is. I think that's probably the case. And so he says, "I love you. Forgive me." And he uses maybe the full might of his power, but he shoots at Lorna. But Polaris, well, he uses the full power of his voice as he shouts, "Lorna!" Yes, uh, and. She says, nice try, lover, but my shields can handle even your best shot. Still, it's the thought that counts. You failed to kill me. What matters is you tried. So leaves... Ooh, drop the mic! Leaves him with a little bit of doubt and a lot of guilt. It was a pretty good issue, storm stuff aside. It was kind of, you know, the Marauders are hacks. It's it's, uh, the two-parter, in my opinion, should have been like a part and a halfer. But yeah, overall, it's a pretty good issue. Pretty pretty good two parter. It's a lot. Of, it, it was. It came off a little more clunky than the previous issue. Uh, get ready because next issue, issue number two twenty three, is all storm nage and adversary. That's gonna be fun. Snore fest, and then two twenty four is totally a filler, but it connects some dots. And then follow the mutants. Well, it looks like there's like uh, a middle section next issue of of the X Men with. With Madeline Pryor, maybe six pages. Okay, well, that's good. Something so. to, that's something to look forward to. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we did get some communication. Uh, we, from longtime listener, way back in the day, Mr. Holden Atreides, he, uh, he contacted us on Facebook. He said he's uh, still working his way through the podcast. He's on episode number 121. Um, he'd asked what fans do when they listen. And he tells us that he's had some health issues over the past few years and his doctors ordered him to, to do some exercise and such. And so when he's out doing that, he listens to the podcast or if he's sick in bed, uh, he listens to our podcast, probably other podcasts too, I would assume while playing video games, uh, which, which is cool, which is awesome. Love to hear that sort of stuff. Um, for those of you who are longtime listeners, you will remember we talked about his comic book, The Alaska Initiative, which I think we're featured in one issue of, maybe two. I want to say we're in a few. Maybe a few. We're like maybe, I don't know. I don't know how many there are though. I I don't remember. I know it's. I don't want to promote it too much because he's not working on it anymore. But <laughs> I would Google it. Alaska Initiative is very cool premise as far as taking like real life pictures, but then sticking them in like comic booky backgrounds with dialogue boxes and such. Is a neat idea. Uh, if you want to know what we look like, we're the newscasters. Totally the newscasters. Um, but now he's he's making comic books, but they're tie-ins for his e-books, which he thinks we're not going to mention this, but I'm totally mentioning this, <laughs> like, because how can you not? Uh, he writes superhero-themed erotica, which kind of has my imagination peaked. Uh, so I, I don't know where you find them, but maybe go to Amazon and just type in Holden Atreides. Uh, I don't, maybe you'll find some, some superhero erotica eBooks, man, and some tie in comic books. And if you can, that's awesome. But what he really wants to comment on, uh, and I think, I think we've talked about this before is that, uh, he wanted to hip us to Marvel comics, the untold story by Sean Howe. I think you read that book, didn't you? Yeah, I've, I've read um, I think I've read all of it. I, re- I read it out of order, so I'm not sure if I've actually read all of it. But I have read passages from it in past episodes. I couldn't tell you which ones. And I, I hope I hope I mentioned that I was reading a passage from it when I did it and just didn't 
and pretend like, well, this is this is my knowledge. <laughs> I to- I'm really I'm really smart. I totally know this. <laughs> um, after reading this note, because this note is actually fairly old, I think we've been holding this back for a while. Um, I did actually pick a copy of this up. It was on sale on Amazon, the hardbound version for like nine bucks or something like that. So I did pick it up. Um, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but totally going to because uh, he does go on to talk about how a lot of the questions or speculations that we make on the podcast are either confirmed or answered or, you know, just generally discussed in uh, the book. Um, things are about like the Marvel method and you know just general questions we have about the creative process. He says it's not centered on the X-Men, but there's plenty of X-Men in the book. So, uh, yeah, uh, eventually I, I'm totally going to read it. I just... Um, if 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 uh, the way that I read it was just by like picking it up, skipping to a like a, a random like section, and then just reading forward, um, that's that's a fun way to do it. I can't do that. I, don't, I just don't. Oh. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> not really a, it's not really a chronological story. So like, what you could do? Well, I mean, it is a chronological story, but you don't have to read it that way. Um, what you could do is like flip forward to the X Men parts. There's like an index in the back, and you can just look up the X Men, and then go to like page two forty and read the x-men stuff and then just finish the chapter that could be fun yeah yeah i know i'm i'm interested in the entire marvel uh story and i probably it it is it is actually very interesting especially for me i think the 70s was the most interesting part yeah because it was was, they talk a lot about the psychedelic doctor strange type stuff and it was fun yeah and i've read other marvel comics related books um one of them was some stan lee biography uh, which was a fascinating. We talked all about like more, it was more focused on Stan Lee, but of course at Marvel comics was a big part of that. Um, so anyways, I do enjoy that. Um, what happened is like, I picked up that book and I was totally going to read it, but it's, it's really thick and it's really heavy. <laughs> and I have a Kindle like many of us do. And that's so thin and so lightweight and I was like, <laughs> you can't hold books anymore. Are you kidding me? It's just so. Oh, this book is so heavy. It's just. Oh, ever read. Oh, I can't turn this page. Oh, I can't get to the page. Oh, I give up. Let me, let me, let me tell you, right? So uh, I just turned 42. And <laughs> as I would recommend to anybody turning 42, you should read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Restaurant at the End of the Universe and then stop. Don't read anymore. Just read those two books. Because 42, right? And so I bought hardcover. Stop after Life, the Universe, and everything. Yeah, so much stuff about cricket. Uh, that book is boring. I think the cricket is the fourth one. Isn't no, the cricket? No, no, the- it's the third one. Oh, darn <laughs> the, it. the fourth one's interesting in that they talk about uh, flying, and the art of flying is to throw yourself at the ground and miss. And that's yeah. very interesting. Uh, and then the fifth one's just confusing because they're the back. fifth one is great. Actually, I like the fifth one a lot. Really? Yeah. It, it introduces the daughter and and yeah yeah, yeah it yeah, is yeah. yeah it is a little more confusing but you know in the end it makes sense to me and, and maybe you know I can do this I've read those books many times and I can be snobby about it I feel like Douglas Adams lost his way right the first two books are 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 group of folks and what our group of folks are doing and it's not just arthur dent it's ford and zaphod and it's trillion and it's marvin and what they do and as the books you know go on you get less and less uh zaphod trillion and marvin and eventually less ford and it's just arthur centric with like one chapter maybe thrown out in fact i want to say that like life the universe and everything like 
I think Zaphod and Trillian are mentioned, and they're not they're not even characters in the book. Yeah, that that is Arthur's story. But Ford is back equal time in the fifth one. You're right, and, Tri- and Trillian is back in, in either the fourth complica- in complicated ways. In in the well, she's she's a newscaster in the fourth one, and then she's a prominent character in the fifth one, right? Well, she's sort of. Because in the fourth one, it's she's, she's, it's Fenchurch. She, it's Fenchurch, yeah. In the fourth one. Yeah. And Trillian is like a newscaster. Right. But then in the fifth one, isn't in Trillian and Arthur one, their love interests? Well, in in the fifth one, there's two Trillians. Uh, I was trying to beat around the bush and not say that. <laughs> it's okay. But, yeah. It's, it, it, gets, it gets a little complicated. Yeah. So, yes, there's the Trillian on Earth, but there's also the Trillian that we know from the previous four books also running around. Well, and then let, let me let me qualify all of that. Like, if you've never read all five of them, read all five of them. But if you've read all five of them and you've read them multiple times, then just read the first two, right? That's that's guess what I'm trying to get at. I'll probably reread the third one just just because. But here's the thing, right? So I I went out and I sought hardbound versions of them because you know, like you know, I'm like I'm 42 and I would like nice hardbound. Like I don't want these paperbacks that I have. I would like the hardbound versions and I'll read them from time to time or I'll put them up on a shelf and I'll display and whatnot, uh, because those books, uh, just like Front 242, as we said off pod, uh, uh, it, it informs much of my, my life and my decisions and my personality. I should celebrate them. Uh, anyways, I'm getting at, as I bought them, I started reading Rest, or, um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and then I realized like I had a version on my Kindle. <laughs> And it was just like, this is just so much more convenient. Like I can lay in bed with like subpar lighting and I've got like the paper white, which has awesome lighting and you can read it in sunlight. You can read it in pitch black and it just looks awesome. Uh, and so then I just read that and then restaurant at the end of the universe on the Kindle, even though I've got the hardbound books. Uh, and then this is going to sound even more weird. I decided that I wanted to read the handmaid's tale. And the <laughs> reason I decided to read that is because I know that it was an assignment in high school to read that book. And I know that I didn't read that book because I never read any of these signed reading material in high school. And of course, and we that's the one you chose. <laughs> well, no, I didn't choose it. I think it was like an assigned, like you have to read this book and then we're going to, yeah, but of all the books that you were assigned. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I, I, I remember like summaries from the teacher and then faking it on tests like because you you know you'd be like what is the moral of this or whatever they'd ask you on those did you ever uh, buy the cliff notes Mm, i'll get to that in a second but but with this book and this is this is the point is uh, you know we were watching the show of course and i was like yeah i remember some of this like i remember the don't let the bastards grind you down portion um but isn't that from pink floyd well u2 has a lyric like that maybe maybe pink floyd does too but there's it's oh, yeah, it's yeah, featured yeah. prominently in that book, and I had remembered it from high school. But when I started reading it again, I was reading it on my Kindle. I was like, "Wait a minute! This book takes place in like 1990 or 2000, or in the not too distant future." And when I was in high school, like I was so far removed, I thought that the book was like some 17th century story like <laughs> of an autocracy that was you know domineering women and i was like not into it then and, and totally apparently not paying attention whatsoever to the story uh but bottom line like i'm back into my kindle and i'm back into reading but now i've got like this giant hardbound marvel the untold story which 
But as far as cliff notes go, when I was in high school, again, they assigned us the reading uh, assignment of reading The Grapes of Wrath. Mm-hmm. And I, I just didn't, I was too busy, Adam, hanging out downtown, <laughs> smoking cigarettes and eating tacos to be bothered to read The Grapes of Wrath. And my high school teacher said to the class, he said, you have to read this book. Uh, if you fail this test, you will fail my class. And I ask questions that you will never get from the Cliff's Notes. So you can read all the Cliff's Notes you want. You will not pass the test with the Cliff Notes. And I decided to prove him wrong because two days before the test, because we had all semester to read the book and I didn't read a word, uh, <laughs> I went to the library and I checked out the Cliff's Notes and I checked out the book on tape, the abridged version, right? Because <laughs> nobody got time to listen to, I don't know, eight hours of Grapes of Wrath. And I listened. I was like, I'll just do this through osmosis. I'll read the Cliff's Notes, which was like 40-some pages. And I'll listen to the book on tape like five times, which I did. <laughs> and I got a C-. minus. Why did you get the abridged copy if you were going to listen to it five times anyway? You could have just got the whole thing. You know what? They probably didn't have the unabridged version. Oh, or okay. I was like... I saw like eight tapes and I was like, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know. I don't want to be responsible for eight tapes. I'm going to break one of these. Well, technically you didn't just go by the clip notes though. If you, you wouldn't, I think, and I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. You, you might not have passed had you uh, just done the cliff notes. That's why I got the book on tape, Adam, because he said <laughs> that. I was like, I'm going to hedge my bets here. Like, whatever's not in the cliff notes he's asking about might be in this book on tape. And that way I can eke out those two extra questions to get me that coveted C minus. So it worked out. Is it what you're totally saying. worked out. And that's my story about cliff notes. Here's a I think you should go uh, back to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You should go out if you haven't ever heard these. And and pick up copies of the original radio plays of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I uh, was it originally a radio play and then a book, or was it a book and then a radio yeah, play? It was originally a radio play. Okay. The radio plays are are very similar to the books, but also very different. They go off on different tangents. Pick up just the first two, skip the next six. I would definitely like to do that because uh, for the longest time, to me, the books were like the religion, right? They were the books and everything else was fake. But then as I grew and I read and I learned, I was like, Oh man, hitchhikers. And maybe that's why I, I like the movie as much as I do. Cause I do actually like that movie. Um, I do too. And I guess a lot of people didn't, I guess it didn't do very well at the box office. And a lot of people, I don't know, reviewed it poorly. I'm not sure, but I think it's because I realized that, yeah, it was a radio play, and then it was a book, and then it was a BBC series. Um, it's been many different things, so why why not? Like, this movie does not have to be a chapter-for-chapter chapter version of the book. Like, it can kind of go off in its own, which right. it more or less did, but kind of circled back on itself as it should have. It maintained the spirit, you know, while changing some things that it probably needed to for pacing. So, yes, to that end... Uh, I guess that's the only material of that that I haven't consumed is the radio plays. They're actually really good. Uh, I would highly recommend them. The The actors in the radio plays are also the same actors that would later be in the BBC show. Oh, interesting. Except for maybe Trillian. What's also uh, very was very entertaining, at least when I was younger, uh, was the book on tape. Uh, I owned... So I had read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and somebody had given me Restaurant at the End of the Universe on tape. So I never actually read that book until I was in my 20s. 
but I would listen to that tape. I think it might have been two different tapes. Which is that the one with the full cast? No, it was the one with just one person reading. It it. was just one guy, but he did all the voices and and affectations and such. But there was also like sound effects and like some music, and it was like a well produced book on tape. But something tells me it was abridged because I feel like it was only like an hour and a half long. Hmm. And, I, and I think that in order to have that book be a book on tape, it would have to be like, I don't know, four, four, hours, four hours probably. probably yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, if you ever are at a garage sale and you see yourself some Douglas Adams books book on tape, pick them up, man, because I, I was very, well, I was 12, but I was very entertained by them. When I was a kid, I also had them, but I had the version that had the full cast from the radio play, which I didn't know that was who they were at the time. So it was like, it was basically the books, but with actors performing all the parts. And I've, I've never found it since then. I don't know. That's actually how I discovered the radio play was I was like, I finally found it. And then I bought this thing and it was like something different. It was like, this is really close to what I'm looking for, but it's not actually based on the books. This is and the, I, and then it opened up a hole, but I never found those things. Okay, so so that book on tape with the full cast. Now I'm I'm starting to wonder if it's just a fever dream. Maybe it's the the Mandela effect. You're you are a uh, you are a um, leftover from an alternate universe that collapsed or collided with our universe. Is that the Mandela effect? Yeah, that's where like you have false memories, like you remember something that never actually happened, but you remember it because in your universe it did happen, but now you're in our universe, which it didn't happen. That's the Does Mandela it have anything effect. to do with Nelson Mandela? I I don't remember the origin of the Mandela effect. <laughs> I just know that that people like groups of people will remember something, but then you look back and like there's no record of that thing ever happening. I've heard of that and I didn't know it had a name. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, there, there's, there's a classic one that people talk about. Here's um, one. Uh, the, the storybooks from when you were a child that featured Papa Bear, Mama Bear, Baby Bear, yes, Brother Bear, yes. Sister Bear. That's the, that's the classic right. one. Who, who wrote about. that? Tell me who wrote that. I don't remember, but I've heard this thing before. Oh, it's the Baron uh, who? It's, it's the, well, the Berenstein Bears didn't write it. Right. But is it Berenstein or is it Berenstain? Oh, well, I think it's actually Berenstain, but everybody remembers it as Berenstein. Right. That's, that's the classic uh, example of the Mandela effect. Yeah. So in an alternate universe, Berenstein was the title and in our universe it was Berenstain. And then the universes collided and half of us died. It's <laughs> really sad. Anyways, uh, Brian Cornish also wrote us a letter. He says, hi, Adam and Jeremy. I just have to say thank you. I've been a fan of y'all's podcast for a while now. And the content you give me to uh, give me uh, us as listeners is incredible. So incredible that I went out and picked up the first two omnibuses from the Chris Claremont run. And I've been replaying them in between the new episodes that come out. Thank you for the great content that you both do. I will forever be a listener. Keep up the great work, Brian. Thank you very much, Brian. Um, that's, I read from those omnibuses, didn't I? The hardcover, the big ones. Yeah, totally. Did you? What did you read from? Uh, I don't even remember. Uh, I read from the. the oh, you had the Marvel Masterworks. Yes, the Masterworks. Yeah. Okay. Yep. yep. And yeah, those omnibuses are awesome. Yeah, awesomely if, expensive. If you don't have them, you should definitely go out and find them. <laughs> So there you go. Uh, so if you'd like to get a hold of us, please do so, and we'll go off on a long rant about, you know, who knows <laughs> what. Uh, but, you know, 
We hope you had a good time listening to it. Uh, contact us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Danger Room Go, or you can email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. We are on iTunes. Just go to the podcast section, type in Danger Room. We're the first podcast that shows up. You can subscribe to us or listen to us there. Uh, you can also call us on the telephone, which is 501 get X-Men 501-438-9636 and our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. check them out oh yeah so we did some supplemental reading this week um, starting with Incredible Hulk number 337 the continuation from last episode of 336 this one features the X-Factor and uh, I read this a couple weeks ago so let's try to figure out what happened here <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it looks like at the end of the last issue, the X-Factor captured uh, the Hulk. Oh, yeah. Iceman with his overcharged ice power froze the Hulk into a big chunk and Cyclops called S.H.I.E.L.D. And Todd McFarlane's the penciler. Yeah, yeah. Todd McFarlane is the penciler on this. Um, it's interesting that the Hulk is not able to break out of the ice. This is like the first time ever. There, This is a whole story around how somebody is not able to break out of Iceman's ice <laughs> until... Well, isn't it because, like, the moon is full or not full or, like... Well, no, no. The Hulk is weak like, right now. The the Hulk is... Uh, yeah, I guess there is some sort of moon-related things to the Hulk. The Hulk only comes out at night right, right now. And and when I say weak, he's he's it's relative to the Hulk. So he's still Hulk strong, but he's Hulk weak. Gray Hulk is never as strong as Green Hulk. Yes. So... Do you remember the Incredible Hulk episode when there was a Gray Hulk? Like the first issue or something? No, the TV show. Oh, the TV show? Yeah. No. That was like the like, only time there was actually like a super villain. And it was it was a Gray Hulk? Yeah, it Did was it? like some dude who was experimenting on himself and he would he he turned into like a Gray Hulk and there's like a scene of them fighting yeah green hulk versus gray hulk but it's not like banner gray hulk did gray, did gray hulk like have a stogie and occasionally like talking gangster talk no no oh. i think he growled just like just like uh lou ferrigno hmm. but it wasn't lou ferrigno that might be a mandela effect too maybe i just made that up from my alternate <laughs> universe but i'm pretty sure that that happened anyways carry on uh eventually hulk does uh break out of the ice because um iceman is supposed to be sitting with the ice and kind of uh, backing it up with more ice, supplementing the ice with additional ice to keep it strong. And he forgets, Iceman, I thought you were reinforcing the ice on the trip, says Cyclops. I guess I kind of forgot. You forgot? And that's when I was like, ugh. This is, <laughs> this, this is, this is not what... Peter David, come on. Yeah. Uh, Hulk smashes up some Hulkbuster guys. Uh that guy with the green hair that he loves to smash. Doc Samson. Doc Samson. Um, the it turns out that Shield is uh, made a back a backdoor deal with the Hulkbusters because they don't care about Banner. But there's one guy that does care about Banner, and he helps the X X Factor and Hulk uh, escape Shield's grasp. No Nick Fury to be seen in this. I don't know if he's even aware of what's going on. Um, at some point, they're about to escape, and the sun comes out, and Hulk turns back to Banner. And how do they escape? Um, oh, I guess Doc Samson steals a giant G.I. Joe ship. <laughs> There's a, a scene in here where Doc Samson pushes apart two pillars, which is 
like straight out of the Bible. It's what Samson does. He pushes over. He he, he asks God for mm-hmm. one last uh, bout of strength, and then he pushes the columns apart, crushes all the Romans or something. He even says, I may have been as blind as my namesake was, but I can still smite with the best of them. So definitely Todd McFarlane making a Bible reference with this drawing. Or Peter David, somebody. Yeah, somebody, yeah. Anyways. Uh, that, it's that Clay, Clay Quartermain is the guy who, for some reason, sides with Banner. I guess because he just likes Banner and he doesn't, he, doesn't wanna, he doesn't want Banner to die. And they, at the end of this, they blow up uh, Gamma Base. So there's no more Gamma Base. And this, this guy at the end, uh, I don't know, this last, this second to last page, this looks like Tomox or Zaymont. <laughs> it does kind of, yes. Talking to like Dr. Mindbender. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, I mean, Todd McFarlane did draw an issue of G.I. Joe, so maybe he got confused as to what book he was doing. <laughs> I mean, Gene uh, uh, back there, or that red-haired girl who is probably not actually Gene, that could be Scarlet. Yeah, it's, she does. She does have a lot more hair than Gene normally does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's getting ready to marry Gene out the hair. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I guess uh, Doc Samson got left behind in Gamma Base when it exploded, and eventually he he gets out. All so. of it gone. What a waste, he says. So X Factor will probably never mention this episode having happened again, which takes uh, us to X Factor Twenty One. Yeah feel like somewhere in either X-Factor 20 or 21, someone's like, yeah, that last cape wrote the Hulk was crazy, but that's about it. <laughs> uh, the X-Factors, they're all mad at Cameron Hodge for his hijinks, so they, they tackle him and stuff, and they, you know, they interrogate him, and for some reason, Cyclops, who's already shown all of X-Factor that the computer is showing Phoenix every time he pushes a button, and everybody's pretty positive that Cameron Hodge is the guy behind it. They take Cameron Hodge up there and they're like, look, look, if you push any button, Phoenix shows up. And then Phoenix doesn't show up. So Cameron Hodge is like, you're crazy. But I don't know. It doesn't make any sense because all of X Factor saw the hologram. So yeah, I think it was even Beast who said, look, yeah. this is said to <laughs> put out a Phoenix hologram. No matter what button you push, it, it shows Phoenix. So I don't know. This doesn't serve any purpose. So they're going to go to the reading of the will. Um Warren told Gene and maybe others that X-Factor would be taken care of. So they think that uh, X-Factor or essentially essentially the core X-Men team will be left the money to carry on the mutant saving job. But I love uh, Cameron Hodge's glasses in these. They're they're just like they're just big circles. Huge and round. Yeah. Uh, Beast is feeling, he's a little sick still, but he's feeling better. He's feeling stronger than normal. Uh, he's very smart. He's beating all the kids at chess. Very important thing. And, uh, Cameron Hodge, he's monitoring everything as the X Factor gets ready to hear the, uh, reading of the will. Uh, they show up and there's long lost relatives and, uh, people that Warren never spoke to, like a whole bunch of people that, that think that they deserve the money and think that they're going to get the money. But really, it turns out that all of the money is left to X-Factor, but to be administered by Cameron Hodge. Hodge controls X-Factor. And that's when X-Factor is like, we're going to quit. We're not going to do this anymore. So they walk out into the news cameras. Trish Tilby's there and they're like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's just tell everybody that we're the X-Factor mutant hunters are the exterminators. 
that we're one and the same. And that's when Cameron Hodge pushes a button in his shirt and the smiley face robots, who we'll learn all about later on, show up and they say, we're mutants and we're killing the mutant hunters. And they shoot up the whole place. And X-Factor has to kind of use their powers, but it's so fast that nothing catches it. Cameras don't catch it. And uh, stupid. Yeah. And they, they, you know, the smiley face uh, people, their objective was to essentially hide X-Factor's cover and add to mutant hysteria. So once it's sufficiently captured on camera, they fly off. And uh, X Factor escapes in the Morlock tunnels back to I don't know back to their their uh, base. And so convenient that all the sewers lead to the Morlock tunnels and to the X Men mansion. Like if you think about it, like X Factor and the X Men don't know that each other exists for whatever reason. Yet the tunnels connect them both. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Apocalypse is up above the city in his ship, which is invisible. This is, I think, the first appearance of, I think, what will become known as Ship, capital S. And I so. uh, he's, he's very happy by what's happening. In fact, he throws his head back and opens his mouth wider than I think I've ever seen his mouth in a <laughs> gaping laugh. Belly he laugh, says, guys, guys, I'm stuck. <laughs> and he's talking about his forced fourth ugh, fourth horseman um calling him death are you ready you've been given a precious gift you've been given power and you can kind of see him in the background he's wearing a horseman outfit but you can't i mean we know who he is but from this angle it still seems like they're trying to create a mystery as to who death is if he just if He'd always just look like this. I think it would be have been more of a mystery. Right. If we wouldn't have seen blonde eyebrow, and if we wouldn't have been like, I'll have wings, right? I'll have my wings back. <laughs> then, yeah. then yes. Then issue 24, when he finally reveals himself, you'd be like, oh my God, it's him. But whatever. Anyways, uh, X, the, the kids are like, oh my gosh, look what's happening on TV. Well, X Factor is going to be coming in the Morlock tunnels, so we better go open the door for them. And when they open the door, the smiley faces show up, and that's when the issue ends. Mutant scum, you are ours. The smiley faces are on both sides. Uh, oh my oh. god. Cameron Hodge's side, I guess. Yeah. Um, still. Still making my way through a not very exciting New Mutants storyline right now. Hey, before you talk about the New Mutants storyline, where did we last leave Magneto? Because I feel like we're not going to see him in the pages of New Mutants again. Oh, we will. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, yeah. He's he's coming up in the pages of New Mutants. Okay, I don't good. I don't uh, I don't think he's in this issue. Okay. But where um, did we last leave him? Was he last left in the Morlock tunnels when the X-Men recruited uh, Havoc? Or was he also in I, a New Mutants issue? In the pages of uh, X-Men, I believe the last time we really saw him was in the Avengers versus X-Men okay. uh, crossover. Yeah, yeah. However, in the pages of New Mutants, he is the teacher. He is Professor X, essentially. Yeah, yeah. but when's the last so, time we saw him in New Mutants? Yeah, last, last issue, 56. Oh, okay. okay. And um, this is 57, and actually he's in the beginning of this. Uh, Brad Blevins draws him as a very anime type of guy, so he looks a lot younger and more uh, bigger eyebrows and shinier hair or uh, okay. slicker hair. Um, so, yeah, he's he's in this issue. He is the headmaster. Sweet. 
Uh, Emma Frost picks up Amara personally to escort her to the Massachusetts school because if you remember, she decided at the end of the last issue that she is going to transfer to the Massachusetts Academy. She mentions the possibility of an exchange program between her school and Xavier's. Um, she mentions this to Magneto, who is there. She says this because he's the white king and she's the white queen. Wah, wah. Oh, my God. Uh, the gang takes the bird boy that they got last issue, who they affectionately refer to as Bird Brain, to the mall. And also a movie where shenanigans ensue because every time he sees food, he goes crazy. Does uh, he, Doug, does, wait, does he go cuckoo? Does he go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? Yeah. Well, he's a bird, right? Um, sure. <laughs> okay. He, um, what exactly does he do when he goes cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? Does he just, but he never gets the Cocoa Puffs, does he? He goes cuckoo for him. He never gets them, but like his eyes get all big and he starts screaming or something. Okay. Well, Bird Brain goes cuckoo for the Cocoa Puffs, but he also eats all the Cocoa Puffs, much to the annoyance of anybody around him. Oh, so he gets the best of both worlds. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Doug has been acting like a jerk this whole issue because he's jealous of the attention that Rain is giving Bird Brain. Finally, at the end of the issue, tries to understand Bird Brain's language. And it turns out he can communicate through squawks and squeaks, which he does. And Bird Brain, uh, in his previous life, where I guess he was a slave, was only given food when he was good and starved when he was bad, which is why he goes so crazy every time there's food around. He's freaking starving. <laughs> Yeah, that's like uh, uh, the shield guy. Uh, what's his face? Uh, Eunice. Oh, yeah. He, he, yeah, he's also starving. <laughs> Eunice was another starving person <laughs> in the comics. Well, that's it for New Mutants. Uh, in Fallen Angels number six, um, the filler series of the year, the Fallen Angels mourn the loss of the blue bionic lobster Don, who just got stepped on. The green bionic lobster Bill wants revenge on Devil Dinosaur, who's the one who stepped on him, and Moon Boy. Chance and Ariel discuss their secret scheme to capture and deliver the mutants to dot, 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 somebody. We don't know yet. Jamie Madrox's dupe still doesn't want to reunite with Jamie, and Jamie respects that. He's cool. It's like, all right, that's what you want to do. You know, you'd feel a lot better if you just came inside, and the guy's like, I don't want to. He's like, all right, all right, I'll wait. Uh, Bill attempts to sever Moon Boy's foot, and Siren and Roberto save them both from uh, further harm. Everybody briefly loses their powers and Warlock goes crazy because apparently his powers are that he's not a crazy person like his dad. Uh. He basically kind of turns into Magus and tries to kill Boom Boom. And after he recovers, Ariel just randomly teleports everybody to her homeworld, the Coconut Grove. And they're on stage for some reason. And it's wackiness. Wow. And I also read Alpha Flight 52 because Wolverine's in it. Um, we get a couple of flashbacks where we see Weapon X leave Alpha Flight again. We get a little more details on that. Uh, we see that Mac Hudson was willing to experiment on prisoners in exchange for pardons in order to create super, super secret mutant agents for Canada. It is implied that Logan disapproved of this, and that's one of the reasons why he left to go join the X-Men. Hmm. Uh, and today, in modern day, not not today, today, not 2018, but two, 1987 day, uh, one of Max's experiments escapes, of course, the one that he was talking to Wolverine about, 
killing some government agent. And Wolverine at the mansion gets a call, presumably on a special phone that he carries around with him all the time, from a pre-recorded message from Mac saying that Bedlam is free. And Wolverine is so upset by this that he pops his claws. This phone thing makes no sense at all. <laughs> Who? It's the Wolverine phone. It's kind of like the Bat phone, but it's full of Wolverine. It's the Bedlam phone that he's been carrying around just in case Bedlam ever gets free. I don't know who Bedlam is, but apparently Wolverine's been carrying it around so that this pre-recorded message can be like, Bedlam is free. How else would a pre-recorded message be able to call Wolverine? I, I don't know. <laughs> oh my God, is all I got to say about that. So next issue, I'm assuming Wolverine's going to fight Bedlam with Alpha Flight. Sounds exciting. It could be. <laughs> Has potential. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking forward to you reading it and telling me about it. That's it for supplemental reading this this month. Whew. Well, this is the long one, folks, but I guess we've kind of been slacking this summer. So, so boom, a little extra for you. Yeah, we talked about all sorts of things. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, other things. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so next week uh, we won't talk about uh, much. Yes. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Well, uh, Adam, you want you want to add anything else to this this one? No, I'm I'm gonna go to bed now. <laughs> All right then. Until next time. My name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. 